Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest, and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. So today we're going to talk about managing exposure and asset allocation through the cycle. So we've touched on some of these points in episodes one to three. So we're going to expand on that today. So uh, Steve, just to kick off with, what we're really talking about, I mean, there are different asset classes that people invest in. Some people like property. Yep. So what we're mainly talking about today is your allocation between stocks and cash. But yeah. a lot of the same principles apply. And we all know in real estate that timing really matters. You know, if you bought a Sydney property at the right stage in the past decade, you've made outsized returns. But on the other hand, if you bought um, in Darwin at the peak of the mining boom, uh, you've had a difficult Less. few years, shall we say. And, <laughs> a more uh, checkered relationship, yeah. shall we say. And this is where, um, we, as we mentioned in episode two, that buy and hold doesn't work all of the time. Yeah. So, uh, so what we're talking about today is largely to do with managing your own liquid capital between stocks and cash mm. through the cycle. What we're going to talk about is the Kelly model or the Kelly criterion and uh, capital growth theory. Yep. Uh, I think some people would be generally familiar with the idea of, well, if the stock market's at uh, record highs, it might not be a good idea to be fully invested. If the stock market becomes very cheap, then you might move towards 80% in stocks and 20% cash or whatever yeah. it may be. I think people are familiar with that as a general concept, but we're going to expand on that today. Uh, we mentioned in um, episode two in particular about the CAPE ratio as a very powerful tool, not for short-term market timing, yep. but in terms of calculating expected returns over the coming 10 years. So let's um, talk today about how you might manage your stocks and cash exposure through the With cycle. the asset allocation. Yeah. What you want to do, I mean, the way I look at it is there's two levels of allocation. First is, and I'll exclude real estate and infrastructure and, you know, the alternative investments deal mainly with stocks, bonds, and cash, right? They're the three. What you want to do is have a look at your macro allocation, and I'll use a figure of 100,000, right? Your first step is to say, well, how much do I put in stocks? How much do I put in bonds? And how much do I keep in cash, right? So the old standard is 60-40, right? 60% of your money in stocks and 40% in bonds for various reasons. But the reality is, the important part of the capital growth theory, right, or the Kelly criteria, as they call it, is the odds at which you are offered. Now, I just want to take a little bit of time to talk about that because the capital growth theory is the sort of nemesis, if I can put it that way, of buy and hold, right? Buy and hold says, just buy it, hold it through the long term, you know, and you'll be fine. Kelly says, no, 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 when you've got a really good odds, you should bet more money. Now, the flip side is when you've got really bad odds, don't bet any money, okay? That's how the asset allocation should be at the macro level. So for CAPE, let's say the US, as you mentioned in previous episodes, 
Cape's really expensive in the US. Everywhere's going to be, everywhere will fall, probably, when the US falls. If that's the case, you'd want to say, all right, let's say I got 100,000. You might say, all right, look, I only want to expose a little bit of my money to stocks because there's a high probability it's going to come down. Okay, so let's say 40,000. And then you might buy 20,000 in bonds and 40,000 in cash, right? Or whatever mix suits. Um, those figures are not hard and fast. But what I'm saying is you, you get at the macro level, you say to yourself, right, how much do I want in stocks? How much do I want in bonds? How much do I want in cash? Now, if you then come down to the micro level and, and say, all right, I'm going to choose 10 ETFs, 10 countries, 10 sectors, whatever. What you would do is there's two sort of major strategies. One is to say, if you've got 10 sectors, well, what I'll do is I'll just put 10% of whatever my allocation is in all of them. The alternative is, and what and that's one part that you can use, what Kelly says is, look, if you actually went through and said, well, look, this one's offering 10%, this one's offering seven and this one's offering two. Why would you say, well, I'll put 10,000 in the two percenter. I'll put 10,000 in the seven. I'll put 10,000 in the 10. Kelly says, well, hang on. The odds, if it's really cheap, are better. For argument's sake, you might say, well, I'm going to put 15,000 in the, in the one offering 10%. In the 7%, I might put 12,000. And in the one offering 2%, I might just put, you know, 5,000. So, the allocation is really based on not what the standard stuff is, which is, oh, Steve, how old are you and what's your risk exposure and, you know, are you risk adverse or risk tolerant or that sort of stuff? The problem I found with that stuff um, is that when you ask people what's your tolerance for risk, uh, people... They don't know. Well, that's it. I know, <laughs> I know this from as a real estate advisor. A lot of people say, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I have a very high tolerance for risk, uh, long-term investment. But when the market goes into a period of turmoil, they're straight on the phone and their yeah, risk yeah. tolerance is lower than they thought it was. And Absolutely. I think this is one of the things we'll probably find out in 2020 and maybe the coming years is that people's tolerance for risk isn't as high when markets are falling as what they thought it was. Absolutely. And, it, and it's human it, nature. It you know, moves. If I go to see uh, my accountant uh, to do the tax return, I look up and I see you know, Lehman Brothers has gone bust or you know, whatever else may be during this cycle. Obviously, if he asked me then, what's your uh, tolerance for risk? I'd be like, oh, yeah. you know, it's pretty you low. Imagine the stock, yeah, yeah, you imagine the stock market that drops 20% like yeah. at the end of 2018, right? It dropped 20% in about three months and bounced on Christmas Eve. If you walked into the financial advisor and he went, oh, the market's just gone down 20% in three months, how's your risk tolerance? You wouldn't be going, oh, mate, I'm all in. You'd be saying, oh, that's a, um, gee. And as you say, most people actually, well, uh, I'm about average. Hmm. Because they don't know what yeah. their own risk tolerance you don't is. Think. And it changes with uh, what's going on in the economy, the yep. markets, the stage of life and so on. Uh, one of the things I've noticed is that even the most experienced investors, uh, it will have, they'll still be impacted by volatility. And uh, you often find that people are promoting, I'll oh, just buy at any price. Yep. You can, uh, the tune changes very quickly at a 20% drawdown. And yeah. beyond that, then the tune changes, oh, well, maybe it's time to switch to bonds. Yep. And, uh, because it's the wrong model, essentially, buying yeah. at any price. That's why um, Kelly is really important. And the reason why is because Kelly said, it's hard to describe in a you know half an hour podcast, but Kelly was simply saying, look, when the odds are in your favour, if you've got a really good piece of information. So imagine if I said to you, you said, oh, Steve, I'm going to invest over the next 10 years. And I went, okay, the CAPE ratio 
right, can be your edge. Why? Because the Cape ratio says to you, this market's cheap. This one's expensive. A lot of the buy and hold stuff is based on, oh, well, you just put a little bit in everything. Whereas what Kelly says is, well, hang on, this one might return 12% and that one, the odds are, you know, are going to be 1%. It's a no-brainer to go, well, why would I put 10,000 in each? Wouldn't I put 15 in that one and one in that one? Now, people will say, ah, yeah, but the 10% are could fall. And that's true. But the way Kelly operates, as we talk about in the book, is to say, generally, at the portfolio level, you will have losers. And Kelly caters for that by saying, don't put all your money in, yeah. right? That's your micro allocation, right? Russia's really cheap, right? Well, don't pile in, but have a sensible plan that says, well, look, I'm, I'm going to allocate 10000 to Russia. I'll put 8000 in and I'll put 2000 in cash. And if it falls, I'll put a bit more in, right? It's worth mentioning that. So why, why is Kelly important and why is value important? The reason is, if you actually look at returns and the capital growth theory proves this out through the cycles, is that it will maximise your geometric Metric returns. Return. It will yep. maximise your wealth yeah. through the cycle. Now, there are all sorts of mathematical papers that have been run to prove this, and that's you know based on uh, coin flip bets where you've got a small edge. Yep. And what it shows is, uh, well... Essentially, Kelly will grow your portfolio faster than any other unleveraged strategy yep. through the cycle. But what it does show is that if you're betting on things where you can lose 100% of your money, it's still possible. You'll to, lose 100% to, yeah, of your money. It's the first rule of engineering, right? If something can go wrong, it eventually yes. will. Yep. Now, the stock market isn't like that because, yes, if, you, if you're a stock picker, yes, you can lose the whole of an investment. But as we mentioned in the previous episode, these days you can buy ETFs. They're very unlikely to go to zero. Yep. You're looking to buy them when they're cheap anyway. So the stock market is more favourable than uh, betting on horses or the casino or playing blackjack. If you go back to Ed Thorpe and Shannon and so on, a lot of these ideas came out of the idea of card counting. And yeah. if you've got a good hand at blackjack, you bet more and vice versa. Which uh, is common sense, isn't yeah. it? You think about it. Intuitively, we know this stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's just that when it comes to stocks, for whatever reason, I think possibly because the cycles uh, tend to be, yeah, they might be a decade long and people lose sight of yeah. the, the whole point of managing the allocation through the cycle. Uh, it was what we talked about with superannuation. You know, if I said to you, I'm going to come to you every month, I'm going to explain to you about market cycles, right? And I'm going to come to you every month and say, Pete, here's the return on offer, right? You would start to say to me, well, Steve, when do I get the best return? Well, when the markets are cheap. Okay. Well, Steve, why am I having to put in $1,000 every month? Why can't I just bank up six grand and then put it in when the market's really cheap? Yeah, that'd be a great thing to do. Okay, thanks. Hmm. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, to be honest, it's not more complicated than that. If you pull a pair of aces, you sort of go, I've got a pretty good hand here. I might... I'll bet more money. Why? Because the odds of you winning are better. Mm. When I was a kid, we played a game called Guts. Mm. Right? This, is about, this is about 50 years ago, <laughs> my dear. <laughs> Recently. Um, but what you'd do was you'd all put, you know, five bucks in the pot and you'd get a card with a six and a king and you'd have to bet to get a seven, seven, eight, nine, ten jack queen. If you got in between them, you would, if I said I'm going to bet a dollar and I got a, a nine, I'd take a dollar out of the pot. Now, there are occasions where you got an ace and you said ace high or low. The second ace is always high, if I remember correctly. So if you said ace low, 
and you got another race, that means the only way you could lose was to get an ace, right? Otherwise, you fell in the range and you won. So what you would do is you'd say, I'll go the guts, right? So you would take the whole pot if you won. Now, there were occasions where you got a, an ace and a queen, which meant you've only got to get a king and an ace, right? So eight cards out of a deck of 52. Now, if you pulled a king, you had to put the money back in, right? Or whatever amount you bet. It's as simple as that. If I dealt you a six and an eight and I said, Pete, there's 52 cards, there's four sevens and you've got to get a seven, you wouldn't be saying to me, Steve, I'm going the guts because your chances are really small. But if I did a two and an ace high, you'd say to me, well, this is the time to be brave. That's all that Warren Buffett does. Warren Buffett just says the market's crashed. There'll be good companies there that will compound at a great rate. That's when I should put more money to work in the stock market, right? And that's how he gets superior returns because he's a Kelly type investor, mm. right? He invests most of the money when the markets are low. Yeah, and that's been uh, Buffett's great genius, I suppose, over the years <laughs> is simply having the patience to look for great prices and great yeah, yeah. investments. And then when the opportunity comes around, he'll yep. bet big. So, you know, famously, Coca-Cola or Amex, you know, great companies that we all know, just waited for the one salad time oil crisis yeah. or whenever, you know, yep. the, the opportunity to go in hard yep. and then didn't worry about 40% of the portfolio being in. Now, for most individuals, we don't have that level of confidence in picking individual companies and you don't need to, but the principle of betting more when the odds are in your favour is yep. key and that's what maximises your wealth. So, And you use the CAPE to partially determine what the odds are. Yeah. Because you know now, you know, the CAPE ratio when it's low, better returns. Okay, well, that's that's the equivalent of the of getting an ace and a king. Mm. You know, you're sort of going, well, I've got a good opportunity here, but I still could pull an ace. So let's just not use 10 grand, let's use seven, or let's use eight, or, you know, whatever you're emotionally comfortable with. And that's what Ed Thorpe said who created the sort of Kelly criteria with stocks, what he said was, I only ever bet as much as I felt emotionally comfortable with. Because as you know, that's what scares you out, right? It's not the numbers. The numbers don't scare you. If I say, you know, four and four or eight, one and one or two, you don't go, oh my God. Why? Because it's just dry numbers, right? What scares you is when the market's falling and you get that emotional pain of looking at it going, losing a thousand, losing 1,500, losing 2,000. You know, that's when you go, I can't stand it anymore. And you sell and you get emotional relief. You're sort of like, oh, thank God I'm out of the market. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know? uh, I think there's an old saying, isn't it? It's the only place where when things get cheaper, people run out of the store. <laughs> you know, in, in every other sphere of life, if stuff's cheap, you love it. demand increases. But in stocks, everybody seems to, it's a strange thing that people find a, a strange comfort in uh, the crowd. Yeah. And when things are going up and they're expensive, people think, well, Everyone else is doing it. I'm it, doing all right. It probably should, you know, must be a good idea. Yeah, and yeah. This is by no means unique to stocks. You know, I see it in, uh, you know, the Sydney property in 2017, and you turn up to an auction with 50 registered bidders. Yep. And prices going five, six hundred thousand over reserve, and people finding a strange comfort in knowing that well, there was forty nine other people behind me. I can't be wrong. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the market value. But yep. of course, uh, you know, when the tide goes out. The same applies in stocks. Now, it's harder in stocks in many ways because you get a daily quoted price. Yeah. And what Buffett will always say is, You get the opportunity to freak out every minute. Yeah. If if you're buying a business, you shouldn't uh, 
you know, you buy it for $20 and somebody comes back to you the next week and says, I'll give you 15 for the business, you would obviously tell them to do one. But yep. in stocks, people, they take their cues from price. So, yeah, yeah. So what the Kelly model is really saying is think of your capital as a series of repeated similar bets yep. instead of... And um, that's the stock market. Yeah. Right? The buy and hold, remember we said in previous episodes, the buy and hold says bet now go for the average expected return because you don't like volatility. But Kelly said, well, hang on, that's wrong. And as I always use superannuation, because every month I come to you and say, Pete, there's your thousand. What do you want to do with it? Right? You get the opportunity at different stages to bet. Well, if that's the criteria, why am I betting just once with buy and hold? Why am I not saying, well, hang on, Pete, the market's really expensive. Just wait and you'll get a really good opportunity. Oh, okay. Well, what will I do in the interim? Well, just keep your capital aside, right? Because you'll be able to compound it then at a better rate. That's what the Kelly criteria is about, is saying, look, you've got each bet and at each stage, look at the odds. And people don't do that. So I was completely distracted. I can't stop thinking about your guts game. It's just my brain spinning. <laughs> I, I suppose, how boring must life have been in Brisbane 50 years ago? These kids these days. I'm not uh, going to tell you that I played with my mum and my brothers and sisters. <laughs> well, see, my kids are wake with up. With no alcohol. It's, it's seven in the morning. They want to play on the iPad. By eight o'clock, they want to go for a swim. And nine o'clock, can we go to Thailand on holiday? It's a whole different world out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So I think people have got the general principle, right? The market's expensive. Yeah. Take some money off be mostly in cash markets cheap yep that's uh, don't die wondering you want to be 80 percent in stocks potentially and just keep some cash because what kelly always says is it doesn't matter how cheap a market is and we saw this in 2009 with yep. the s&p 500 at 1000 then it was 900 yep. and then it was 800 and 700 and people were like how low can this yeah. bloody thing go and that's what Kelly says, is that you always want some cash because yes. even a cheap market can get cheaper yep. and an expensive market can always get more expensive. That's right. But if people are listening into this and say, well, okay, I've got it. I understand I need to have a systematic written plan that I refer to. Yep. So I'm not making off-the-cuff reactionary. Emotional decisions. Yeah, yep. because as we mentioned, if, if you go in to see your accountant or advisor or whatever and the stocks are crashing, of course your risk tolerance naturally feels like it should be lower. Yep. But what we know from history is that when the markets have crashed, as Meb Faber has shown, if the market's down 50, 60, 70, 80%, that's your opportunity. Yep. Because it's cheap. Give us an example. So if you're looking at the CAPE ratio in terms of you know, what kind of allocation might be looking at, if, if the CAPE's above 30, you might be just, what, 20% in stocks yeah, and eight. let's go through a cycle. So and this is just said, a general point. It's not specific yeah, yeah. advice. And, of um, course, if you're approaching retirement, you might be more conservative. Yep, which is both. exactly, again, what Kelly said. Right? Kelly said, look, the closer you get to your wealth goal, you should be more prudent. Why? Because you're going to wake up one morning and go, boom, the stock market drops 20% in three months, right? So the way to look at it through a cycle is let's say the CAPE ratio is at 10. We know the average is about 17 or thereabouts, right? So you look at it and you say, well, I've got a pretty good runway of upside. What you can do is say, first of all, again, as I said, you go to the macro and go, I'll do 100 in stocks. And out of that 100, I'm going to select 10 ETFs and it'll be 10 lots of 10,000. Then you can go in and let's say we do Australia, uh, Russia and the US, for example, right? And I say, okay, what's Australia? Australia's at the Cape of 10. Okay, I've got 10,000. I'm going to put 8,000 in there because I know I've got a runway that's probably very favourable, right? I don't need the money next year, so I've got a decent runway. You can look at the US and say, well, the US is at 15. You can go, all right, 
not great. So in there, what I'll do is I'll put 50% in. So I'll put 5,000 in the US because if it drops, I want to have some cash here to, to feed it in. Then if you come to Russia, you might say the Russian CAPE ratio is at, say, six or wherever it's cheap. You might then say, all right, I'm going to put in eight and a half thousand and keep 1500 in cash because it's really, really cheap. The flip side is then let's say the Australian CAPE ratio goes from 10. Let's say it works its way up to 24 or 25. You can rebalance after the average. So, you know, I'd sort of say to people, look, if the CAPE goes from 10 to 15, just for argument's sake, you might make 50%. That doesn't necessarily mean you should take money off because it's still cheap. Again, we know the CAPE gets into trouble around 23 and above. So at 20, you might want to look at it and say, okay, I've, I've made a decent amount of money. I'll start pruning some off. And then as it goes higher, you take more and more off. And it gets back to what Templeton said with your asset allocation. By the time you get to the top of the market, it's painful. And it's painful because you're taking lots of money, which is really good, but these suckers just keep going up. And you think, oh, if I'd have been 80 invested, I'd have made more money. Yeah, 2019 you, was a good case in Yeah, point, but you know. can't do that. And so what happens then is when the market crashes, you actually say, lucky I took all that money off and rebalanced, you know. That's the important part about investing through a cycle, not just buying and going, oh, that's it, I'll come back in 40 years. I see that principle of rebalancing is one of our eight principles and we cover it in a whole chapter of the book. It explains it much better than we can in a short podcast, but the key point is you put money in at the lows and take it off at the highs and then when the lows come round again, not only have you protected your profits, you've got dry powder to go again and that's, that's where the true power of rebalancing comes in. It's what the pros do as well. That's the Kelly stuff. Yeah. Are the odds good? Put it in. Are the odds still good? No. We'll take it out, right? You haven't got an edge. If you haven't got an edge, don't bet. They use the idea of a coin flip. Have you got an edge? No. Could be heads or tails. Well, why would you bet on it? It's ridiculous. Yeah. If I said I've got a two-headed coin or I've got a card game where you've actually got a legitimate edge, like in stocks with the cape ratio, then you can say, all right, well, I've actually got a bit of an edge. So I'll bet a bit more here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we've covered two different things here inadvertently. Asset allocation, which might be your balance between, say, stocks and bonds and cash. And then diversification, which is one of the key mantras of investing. Don't put all your eggs in In one one basket basket. because you can always, you know, cheap markets can always get cheaper. They can be black swan events. So That basket can fall off the table. Yeah, and there are several ways to diversify, even within stocks. So we've, we've... touched on all of them here. So one is that these days you don't have to be a stock picker. You can own an ETF that owns the universe for that country or that sector. So that's one way to diversify. Another way is that you might hold multiple positions. Um, So you might not, you don't want to be all exposed to one country. Yeah, the home bias thing you were talking about. Yeah, that's it. You want to spread your risk across different countries and sectors. And a third way that Stephen mentioned is that let's suppose you found a cheap market. It doesn't mean you have to go in and uh, we've seen this with oil in recent uh, weeks that the price has gone from 70. I'm talking in 2020 here. The oil price went from 70 to 50 to 40 to 30. Now, if you went all in at an oil price of 40, you've left yourself massively exposed. And that's why the third way 
to diversify, he's averaging down into a position. So if yep. it gets cheaper, you can buy more. So uh, that's why you can diversify over time as well as by sector, because even cheap markets <coughs> can always get cheaper. So I think where people need to be able to work towards is making unemotional yeah. decisions. It's uh, systematic investing is yep. one of our key eight principles in the book, is that uh, when the market has great turmoil, you know, the circuit breakers have been hit, market's down 7% in 10 minutes. It's no good saying, oh, right, I'm going to buy some stuff or try and fix everything today. What you need to be able to do is go, okay, this is what I said I would do. Yep. Okay, well, you know, look at it rationally. Okay, I've only got exposure to this much in stocks. I've got all this cash ready. Yep. And then you can make unemotional and systematic decisions. And that's what guarantees you'll be around through the cycles. Yeah. Which, what we've talked about today is the Kelly model or the Kelly criterion and capital growth theory. And it's proven uh, the mathematical papers. It is the way to maximize your wealth through the cycle for the, any given level of risk. And what it states is always have some cash because there'll always be better opportunities in the future. When the odds are in your favor, you bet more. When the odds are skewed against you as they were in 2019, you want risk off Sit the table. Sit on the sideline, yep. Uh, hard though it can be to do when people are boasting about our performance, but you've got to remember the goal of all of this stuff is really maximizing your wealth through the cycle. And if you're making 10 or 12% per annum through the cycle, you're doubling your wealth every six or seven years, that's just fine. You don't need to do, you don't need to speculate for the big gains. Yes. Especially as you get to our stage of life and beyond, you don't want to be exposing yourself to big drawdowns. So some really good stuff there today. Uh, thanks, Stephen. And uh, next time around in episode five, we're going to talk a bit about the different personality types, investment strategies and investment maps for each of the personality types and how that impacts our goals and our decision making. Uh, so I look forward to seeing you next time uh, for episode five. Cheers. Cheers. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.